All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Matthew. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 24, remember chapters 24 and 25 is a single section often referred to as the Olivet Discourse. But it's a single single section that deals with Jesus's prophetic uh, warnings of his return and dealing with the two questions that we find in chapter 24. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Two questions. And basically, in this prophetic revelation that Jesus was giving his disciples, he was talking about, as we as is depicted in the book of Matthew, the things that will be leading up unto the end of the age. That is, and we don't want to get into all of those details here in our, our simple recapture of chapter 24, but we understand that in the end of the age that simply deals with those things that will be happening in the world that will be increasing in its magnitude. That's why Jesus talked about wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines, all of these things leading up to the point to when Jesus actually returns and establishes his kingdom. So in the first part of 24, he gave that in a generalization about those things that will be coming upon the world, the difficulties in the world, leading up to the nearness of his return. Now, he dealt with certain issues, but not in great details, as to the tribulation, and that it would be that significant period that would lead to his coming. And we understand that the tribulation, as Jesus himself said, that if those days had not been shortened, no flesh would survive. That is, the tribulation would be seven year period of time that would be God's judgment upon the world that would be so severe that the human race could not endure it if it lasted longer than three and one half years. And we reason why we got reason why we just said three and a half years is because we understand that the tribulation is what seven years the great tribulation is three and a half years and it will be during this particular period that the jewish people will go will undergo a persecution that they have never ever experienced before and this is when he gets into the second part of chapter 24, when he tells them about the abomination of desolation, which is the sign of his return. That is when the Antichrist makes a seven year peace treaty with the rulers of Israel in, and after three and one half years, he violates, he breaks that particular treaty and he breaks it by going into the third temple that will be built in Jerusalem and he desecrates the temple by proclaiming himself to be God and having an image placed in the temple to be worshiped as if that is God. We talked about all of those things, chapter 24, and as it related to Revelation chapter 13. And Jesus said that this uh, abomination of the Antichrist would be an indication that it is time for the Jewish people to flee. And Jesus gave various scenarios in which he was saying that pray that your flight be not in the winter, pray that you don't have children. In other words, 
In order to run, you don't need anything to hinder your running because you are literally running for your life. And Jesus said that it would be that generation that sees the abomination of desecration. That, that is the abomination of desolation, which is the desecration of the third temple by the Antichrist. That generation will see the return of Jesus and the setting up of the kingdom. And so he just simply says heaven and earth pass away. But what his words will never pass away. And so then he continues to talk about his glorious return and that when Jesus does actually return, he wanted them to realize that his coming will not be uh, uh, mysterious or hidden in any way. He would come as the lightning comes from one side of the sky to the other side of the sky, that there will be great cosmic events. Uh, 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 stars falling from the sky. That is a meteor shower. The sun darkened, the moon darkened. In other words, his return will be visible unto all. And he continued, therefore continued to warn them, do not believe any so-called prophet or anyone who claims that the Messiah has come and is in some hidden or unknown place. Then he continued on to talk about another event. And this is where we are moving into chapter 25 as we're dealing with the end of 24. He dealt with another event. That is when he talked to answer the disciples question. Remember, when would these things be? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? The sign of the coming end of the age that that the sign that tells us that this age is coming to an end and the kingdom is about to be set up. He answered those questions. What will be the sign? The abomination of desolation. Then he gave that paraday construction that I told you about in chapter 24. If you haven't looked at, listen to chapter 24, go and watch that. It will be very helpful to understand what the Lord is continuing to teach. But he gave that construction to talk about another event a hidden event, one in which they do not know the day nor the hour. Jesus even said that he himself did not know the day or the hour. This is the rapture of the church. And so he continued on his teaching, simply saying, since no one knew when the rapture event would take place, that is the coming of Jesus in the air to Take away the church, those dead in Christ, those who are alive in Christ, take them back to heaven to escape the period of the tribulation. Since this event, the rapture is unknown, Jesus hammers to be ready. And so he gave a particular parable. He gave two parables. Number, the first one is concerning about the head of the household, not knowing at what hour the thief would come. Because what? If he knew, he would have prepared himself and he would not have been caught unawares. Then he gave another parable and dealing with basically being prepared. That is in the sense of being prepared, having the Lord's uh, master being a slave being put in charge of his master's things. His master goes on a long journey and returns when the slave is unprepared for him to return. So what is Jesus doing with those two parables? He's hammering the idea 
concerning the rapture. Since we do not know the hour of the rapture, it is important to be prepared for it at any time. And so basically that is what he's teaching in preparedness. And because the Lord is giving so many parables with respect to the rapture, he is drilling home for us the need to be prepared for it. Why? Because it will come in such an hour that you do not think. And that's what he is referring to when he talks about the coming of the son of man in this context. Okay. Now with all of that, we continue uh, the discussion concerning the rapture and being prepared for the rapture in 25. And with all of that, just keep in mind, he is still dealing with the rapture in these um, in this next parable that he's about to give the parable of the 10 virgins, because the whole idea is being prepared. OK, now, before we get into chapter 25, although chapter 25 is is pretty long, but it basically consists of three particular sections. That is the preparedness in dealing with the issue concerning the 10 virgins, the reward of the, of the servants, that is the parable of the talents, and finally the judgment of the Gentiles. Now, two of them are parables. The first two are parables. The final one, the judgment of the Gentiles, is not a parable. It is Jesus forewarning us what will take place when he returns in the second advent. But I simply went into all of that simply to say, because of the nature of the teachings of 25, even though it is long, it is simple. The parables themselves are simple and are basically primarily teaching one particular idea, and we will discuss that once we get into the parable, okay? So we should be able to finish this chapter, not in really short order, but it should not take long just because there are a lot of scriptures. So with all of that, let's just simply get started. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were prudent for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, behold, the bridegroom come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be on alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. 
Okay, so now we have that famous parable of the 10 virgins. And basically, as Jesus styles uh, this particular parable in the instance of preparedness for a wedding, this speaks prophetically to the church. Once again, the idea is the rapture of the church. And one of the reasons why, or should I even say the main reason why Jesus styled this as virgins being pre preparing to go to a wedding is simply because the church is always called the bride of Christ. It is the church who will be married to Christ. And that particular marriage event takes place in heaven after the rapture. And we can see that in Revelation chapter 19, when it talks about behold, the bride has gotten herself ready and she is dressed in her white for her wedding. The church will marry Jesus. We will have the officiation, the officiation of the marriage of the church to Jesus in heaven. And this takes place after the church has been raptured. So this is why we can see this whole issue of brides. So the idea is 10 brides all together. The bridegroom has not shown up. Five were considered to be wise. Five were considered to be foolish. And the reason why they were foolish is because they brought no additional oil in the oil for their lamps. Since you did not know when the bridegroom would come back and be ready to take his bride unto himself, the rapture, since you don't know when the rapture is coming, since you don't know when the bridegroom will return and, and take the bride, bride for himself, it is best to always be ready by having enough oil. Now, I know oftentimes we hear, this means this and this means that when people discuss a parable, but that is an improper way to discuss a parable. There are times when specific things in a parable can have a spiritual import or spiritual meaning, but all things in a parable do not have this means this. In other words, like I've heard some say, the oil is a sign of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit has been compared unto oil in other places in scripture. But that is incorrect. It is the thrust of the passage that we need to understand and the main elements of the passage that we need to understand. So the issue that we're seeing is this, what the bridegroom came at an unexpected hour. That is notice midnight when everybody was asleep. What has Jesus been saying about that whole issue concerning the rapture of the church? It is coming at a day when you do not know. The angels do not know. The son of man does not know. If the good men of the house had known at what hour the thief would have broken in, he would have been ready. The whole point of the rapture is it comes at a time when you do not know. There are no signs. Remember chapter 24 talking about the sign of Daniel that would trigger the coming of Jesus in the second advent. But the sign of the rapture, I'm sorry, the rapture has no sign. It comes when you're not ready. So what happens? 
those who proclaiming and, the, and we can see the 10 virgins to be understood as the church holistically. Those who are ready are simply the true saints in the church. Those foolish brides who are not ready are those hypocritical so-called saints. In other words, they're not true saints, but nevertheless, they are amongst, amongst the body of Christ. So what happens? The bridegroom comes, those who are ready go back with the bride, <clears throat> the foolish desire. Remember, we know the story. They ask, let me borrow of your oil. They say to them, no, go buy. They went to buy oil. And when they bought the oil and returned, the bridegroom was already gone. The idea is you must be prepared because you don't know when the bride bridegroom will return. But look at the second part. Once they uh, got it together, once they bought the oil, then they sought out the bridegroom and said, let us in. Once the event of the rapture is over, if you miss the rapture, you will not get a second chance. And so what does he say? I do not know you. In other words, he disowns them as being genuine believers. And that is the reason why they were not caught up in the rapture in the first place is because they were not <clears throat> what? Genuine believers. So what does the bridegroom say? I do not know you. And the door was shut. And then Jesus makes his warning. And this is the very thrust of the parable. Be on the alert. Be constantly watching. Why? For you do not know the day nor the hour that the Lord returns in the rapture of the church, beginning from that paraday construction that we talked about in chapter 24. So once again, what is the very idea of this parable with the 10 virgins? Be prepared because what? You don't know when Jesus will return. So this brings in the idea of prepared for the rapture so that the saints of God will be caught up into heaven and enter into that marriage with the Lord in heaven. And we see this again, typified, spoken of in Revelation chapter 19. Okay. Now let's move on a little further as we talk about the parables. Now the spiritual idea of the parables are different because even though it does, con it continues to speak of events concerning, or should I even say it this way, related to the rapture, it basically deals with the events that will follow after the church has been raptured. What will happen after the rapture? So therefore it is going to give another idea or the thrust of the idea in that there will be rewards. Rewards will be given after the church has been raptured. Knowing that rewards will be given, then it behooves the saints to always be faithful. 
And this is the idea that deals with the talents. Okay. So with that being said and pre prematurely covered, let's get into the scripture for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey immediately. The one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents in the same manner. The one who received the two talents gained two more, but he who received the one talent went away dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents saying, master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five talents, five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and him he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, now this is a long parable, but it is a very simple parable. So what do we have? Jesus styles himself as a man, a slave owner, who's about to go on a long journey. And this is simply Jesus as he returns to heaven. This is Acts chapter one, when Jesus ascends into heaven and what does he do? He distributes talents. Now we know talent here is a large measure of money. A single talent is a very large measure of money. So five talents, very large, two large, one is still decently sized talent, but nevertheless, 
This is the distribution of Jesus's gifts. This is the distribution of his gifts. First Corinthians chapter 12 and responsibilities with those gifts to the individual members of the church. And so what does Jesus, because what he goes away and he does not return for a long time. And the idea is to his slaves that he gives this great amount of wealth to, he expects them. He has the rightful expectation of his slaves that they should work for him. It is only right. His own slaves should work for him. And he therefore expects to receive not just simply that which he has given them, but even more. So what happens <clears throat> as he distributes to each one, according to their ability, five two, the one with the five and the one with the two talents went out and worked for the master and both gained an equivalent amount five and two. But the one with the one talent, instead of him trying to do something with the Lord's money, he took it and hid it in the ground, which lets us know that something is crooked about that in the first place as the master is going to deal with in the end. So finally, the master returns from his long journey. Now this, let me just give a cap on all of this. This is the fulfillment of first Corinthians chapter three. When Jesus, when Paul, I'm sorry, talks about the judgment of the works of the believer. Some will be what gold, silver, precious stone. Then he talked about wood, hay and stubble, but we're not going to get into that. But this is what we call the believer's judgment. This again, the apostle talks, Paul talks about this in second Corinthians chapter five. This is what is called the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. So, so that you'll understand it when the church is raptured after the rapture of the church, all of the saints of God will appear before the Lord Jesus. Because remember God, the father, I think that's John chapter five, God, the father judges no man, all judgment in every single case is given to the Messiah is given unto Jesus. So the saints will stand before Jesus and be judged on, <clears throat> on the basis of their faithfulness in accordance to the gifts that Jesus has given them. The more gifts that is spiritual gifts, opportunities, the more gifts that Jesus has given the individual, the more he expects from the individual. So this is what we see taking place here. So the one with the five comes and look at the joy in his voice. Master, you gave me five. Look, master, I gained five. He was happy at his Lord's return. He was happy to work for his Lord. And what does his Lord do? Well done, good and faithful slave. And that is the primary idea. Faithful. This is the warning of Jesus. This is the encouragement of Jesus for his people while he is gone to be faithful. And what does he say? 
You've been faithful over a few things that is in this life over these spiritual gifts that God has given you over these opportunities, over the money and the wealth, over the things that God has given you in this life. You have been faithful over these few things. Behold, I'll make you ruler over many. He says that to the five, he says that to the two. And what he is talking about is, it is at the judgment seat of Christ after the church has been raptured when each one of us stand to give an account of ourselves, to give an account of our works, Second Corinthians chapter five, to give an account of our works before Jesus, that's when Jesus will give us our millennial rewards. Now, what do I mean when I say our millennial rewards? Remember, the saints of God are in heaven at that time. We are being judged at this time. That's what's going on here. And Jesus, notice what he says. I will make you a ruler of many, much. You're not a ruler of it now because no saint will ever rule heaven. Heaven is the domain of God. This is Revelation chapter 20. When Jesus returns, Jude 14, the Lord returns with, ten, with thousands of his saints to bring judgment to the world. Revelation 20, behold, I saw thrones and they sat upon those thrones. So this is the millennial reward. In heaven, Jesus judges us. He gives us our crowns in heaven and our reward in heaven. We are then married to Jesus in the officiating ceremony that I told you about, Revelation 19, when the saints of God return back with Jesus, that is the church, return back with Jesus, that's when Jesus makes us rulers, certain ones of us, not all of us will be. <clears throat> but certain ones of us. That's what I mean by millennial reward. And that's when some will be rulers over five cities, 10 cities, or whatever it might be. That's when we exercise that particular gift of, uh, of reward that Jesus has given us. So that deals with the one with the five and one with the two. They were faithful. But now let's get to the one with the single talent. And we remember what he did. He took his Lord's money, hid it in the ground. And when his Lord came, he came bringing that little measly, dirty money back to the Lord and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and, and expecting something when you put forth no labor. First of all, it was almost like a slap in the face. That's the reason why you're the slave. I expect you to do these things and I have a right for you to expect you to do these things. Why? I am your master and you are my slave. But nevertheless, he was unwilling, brought it back to his master's feet and notice what the Lord Jesus called him. You wicked and lazy. Clearly, we understand the part about lazy because he was unwilling to do anything. But the true uh, 
exemplification of the nature of this slave. He was a false, hypocritical Christian. He was no true Christian. Notice what Jesus called him. Wicked. He didn't call him good like he called the last slave. He said, you're not good, you're wicked. So this is, or should I say, this is an indication of those amongst us who claim to be Christian, but are not Christian. And the evidence, the evidence that they are not Christians is they are not willing to put forth any work for the Lord. They are Christian in word alone, but what did they do for the Lord? How did they live for the Lord? They did nothing. What did Jesus say that he said he did? He took his money and buried it. Notice what Jesus said. You could have did something. The least you could have done was take my money to the bank. And at least when I got back, guess what? You would not have only presented me with my money I gave you, but you will also have given me some interest on top of that money. If you were unwilling to work for the money, at least you could have put the money to work, but you indicate you didn't want me to have nothing. The idea was that slave was hoping the master wouldn't return and he could probably keep the money for himself. And what was the judgment that was rendered for this hypocritical slave? Take what he has, give it to one who has producing and throw that slave into a place of outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Once again, as we keep telling you, this is the picture of hell itself. So therefore, this so-called slave was not a true Christian. He was a hypocrite and therefore he was apportioned a place with the hypocrites as Jesus just told us earlier in chapter 24. But anyway, what is the point of this parable? It simply continues on with the prophetic picture. Once the saints have been raptured, therefore you need to be prepared because you don't know that there is no sign for the rapture. You don't know when Jesus will come five five foolish, five wise version, be ready, keep oil in your lamp, be ready. But those who do, once the time does come, what will Jesus do? He will judge for faithfulness. Therefore, what is the whole point? First point of the virgins is be ready. The second point of the parable of the talents is be faithful. So Jesus is giving styling two principal ideas, the idea of readiness because you don't know when he's coming. And then for those who claim to know him, you need to do something for the Lord. You need to have something ready to present before the Lord when he comes. Be faithful and what? I'm sorry, be ready and be faithful. And that's the overriding idea. But once again, these are the millennial rewards that they will be rewarded for. That's why he said, take what he got and give it to another. For I say unto you, more those who have, 
more will be given. Those who do not have what he does have shall be taken away. That is, if you are faithful, the Lord will reward you with more. But if you are not faithful, he'll take away whatever he had given you previously. And that's the idea. And the sentence, what? Hell. Why? Because he wasn't saved in the first place. So now with this place in chapter 25, we now conclude Jesus's teaching on the rapture and his primary thought that he kept drilling was be ready because you don't know when the time will come. If the thief, if the good men of the house had known when the thief had come, five foolish versions, be ready, be ready, be ready. Why? You don't know the hour. And then finally, for those that he's telling about, telling to be ready, be faithful. I'm going away for a long time. I am ascending into heaven. I will not come back to rapture the church for a long time. But when I rapture the church, after I rapture the church, I will bring each of you before me and ask you, I will demand of you, give an account of the spiritual gifts that I have given you, give an account of the things in this world, the money, the opportunities, give an account of the life that I gave you in this world. And if you are found to be faithful, I will reward you. And in the millennial kingdom, you will exercise that reward. Some of you will be rulers and even kings. And that's the whole point of that. Now, Jesus returns back to the issue of dealing with his return. That is not the return in the air, the rapture, but the second advent. What will, what will take place when Jesus returns back to the earth for the second time at the beginning when Jesus begins to set up the millennial kingdom. When Jesus began to set up his kingdom before the saints of God begin to rule, what will take place? Now, what you have to understand is you need to return back to what Jesus was talking about earlier in chapter 24. When he was, remember the whole gist is what is going to happen with the Jewish people. There will be great persecution of the Jews as we come towards the end of things, as we move into the tribulation period, the, the, the persecution of the Jews. Remember, go back and check out everything that I taught you in chapter 24 by the antichrist, by the other Gentiles of the world, the Jews, revelation chapter 12, the Jews, will be persecuted in a persecution they have never seen before. If you're on the mountains, don't come back down. If you're on the housetop, don't come back down. I'm sorry, if you're in the field, flee to the mountain. If you're on the housetop, don't come back down. If you're pregnant, oh, I feel sorry for you. If it's the wintertime, oh, I feel sorry for you. Persecution for the Jewish people, Revelation chapter 13, by the Antichrist, okay? and by the Gentile nations. What will Jesus do when he returns back in the second advent before he sets up the kingdom? How will Jesus judge the Gentiles? That 
is the thrust of this next section. Once again, even though it is lengthy, it is very simple and take it in a literal verbatim sense. And that's how Jesus is speaking. This is exactly what he is going to do. He is not saying notice as he just got through talking earlier for the kingdom of heaven is like the 10 virgins. Then again, it is like the parable of the 10 talent. It is like those were parables. The parables had truth behind it, but here it is not given as a parable. So therefore Jesus wants you to take all of his words to be literal and Jesus will literally do these things when he returns in the second advent. Okay. Enough of that. Get into the text 31. But when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say also to, to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in naked, and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you? hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not care for you. Then he will answer them. Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you will, you did it not to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay, now let's finish this last prophetic section. This section is nothing more than dealing with the judgment of the Gentiles. That is, remember in context, what's going on in the tribulation? The Jews are undergoing the greatest persecution in the world. The Antichrist is seeking, Revelation chapter 12, is seeking to kill every Jew 
on the planet. The Jews in escaping for their lives are going into every part of the world. They have run into the mountains of Petra to try to hide from the Antichrist as he gathers his soldiers there, Revelation chapter 19, in the battle of Armageddon to destroy all of the Jews. But while the Jews are running everywhere all over the world, fleeing for their lives, what is the response of the Gentiles, that is, those who are not Jews. Unsaved Gentiles will turn over the Jews to the Antichrist. They will turn over the Jews to the authorities where the Jews will be imprisoned and ultimately killed. But what will the righteous Gentiles do? What will those saved Gentiles, those Gentiles who are also fellow believers in Jesus, what will they do when they see these Jews running for their lives? These saved Gentiles understanding that the Jews are the elect of God and God will deal with the Jews in his own way. They will take these Jews hide these Jews, have compassion on these Jews, feed and clothe these Jews, visit these Jews. This is what Jesus is saying. So what? Now let's take it from the top. He says, when the son of man comes in his glorious throne. So here, this is Jesus returning in his second advent, riding on the clouds of glory. And what does he do? He separate, he gathers all the nations before him. And this is what you need to see. There is a dichotomy of people. We have the nations and the word here is ethne, which means come from ethnos, which is a word that is always used for the Gentiles. So that lets us see that this is the judgment for the Gentiles. Now, I don't have time to get into this issue about the Jews, but I'll just simply say this is not a judgment of the Jews. Why? Because it will be during the, tri the, tri the great tribulation that all of the Jews will be saved, whereby at the end of the tribulation, that's why Paul says all Israel will be saved. I don't have time to get into it, but just Allow me to simply say in fulfillment of the words, the prophetic words of Zechariah in that that one third of the Jewish people will be saved in the great tribulation. And that two thirds of the Jewish people will actually die in judgment. One third will be saved and therefore there is no need for these Jews to be judged. So when Jesus returns, those Jews who are alive are all saved. So what we have here is the judgment of the Gentiles. And that's why Jesus is saying he gathers the nations, the Gentile nations, and he separates them sheep on the right saved Gentiles, goats on the left, unsaved Gentiles. What determines whether one was saved or not? How did you treat these brethren of mine? That's why I said it's a dichotomy. Jew versus Gentiles. How, who are the brethren of Jesus? Jesus is seed of Abraham, son of Abraham. Jesus is a literal 
fleshly family of the Jew. So the brother of Jesus that he's referring to are those Jews who suffered the persecution during the tribulation. And what determines if one is a sheep? Did you have mercy, compassion? Did you feed? Did you clothe? Did you help them? Did you visit them? How did you treat these Jews during their persecution? For if you treated them well, what did Jesus says? For however you did unto them, the same you did unto me. Those are the righteous that Jesus talking, is talking about. The righteous Gentiles that will come into the kingdom. The righteous Gentiles who will come into the kingdom. So you'll have the saved Jews into the kingdoms and the saved Gentiles. Now let's address those on the left. Those Gentiles on the left, non-Jews, Gentiles on the left that Jesus referred to as the goat. Jesus simply declares that they are not saved. Why? The evidence that they were not believers is how they treated the Jews during the worst times of their persecution. I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was in prison. You didn't visit me and so on and so on. How did you do the least of these, my brethren? Indication of how you treated me. It was the evidence that you are not saved. And so therefore, now here's what I want you guys to see. What takes place, what takes place when Jesus returns in his second advent? Saved, you remember all the Jews are saved anyway. The Gentiles would be judged. Saved Gentiles enter into the kingdom. Unsaved Gentiles. And here's what I want you to see. Verse number 41. To those on the left, unsaved Gentiles. To the goats, he calls them accursed. Depart from me. Depart from me and go where? Go where? Into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. This is clearly Gehenna, as the Bible talks about in Luke 16, as Jesus gave that particular story about Lazarus and the rich man. The eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels was Gehenna, was hell itself. But here's what you got to understand. In order to go into Gehenna, it is a place for the person, for the, when I say destruction, I don't mean the uh, uh, the ceasing to exist, but the suffering. Hell is a place for the suffering of the soul. It is not the place for the suffering of the body. Remember what happened to the rich man in Luke 16. The rich man died. And what? In hell, he lifted up his spirit eyes, his soul eyes. His soul went into hell. So what am I trying to say? When Jesus told those on the left to depart and go to hell, their souls had to go to hell. But in order for their souls to go to hell, their bodies must first be put to death. So holistically, what did Jesus do to the unsaved Gentiles when he returned? He literally executed them. Jesus physically 
put them all to death. And immediately after he put them to death, he sent them to hell again. Why? Hell is not a place where the body goes. The body must die first and then the soul goes to hell, Luke 16. So Jesus is letting you know exactly what he's going to do to the unsaved Gentiles when he returned. He is going to have a mass. Think about what I'm trying to tell you. There will be a mass, mass execution, physical killing that Jesus will do of the Gentile. He will kill them. Remember, he's gathering all of them. And everybody knows you will always have more unsaved than saved. What did Jesus say? The way that leads the path, the road that leads us to salvation is a narrow road. Only few will go and find that road. But the way that leads to destruction is broad and wide and many go therein. So in this judgment of the Gentiles, there won't be simply a few people. There will be millions and millions and millions of people that Jesus literally executes that day and sends them straight to hell. That's why he says they go into a place where the devil and his angels will go. The final verse, they will go into eternal punishment and the righteous will go into eternal life. And these are just simply generalizations. These are simply what again? Generalizations that those who are saved at the return of Jesus, saved Jews, saved Gentile, will have eternal life. They'll be human beings, and I don't have time to get into all of that. But ultimately, they will have eternal life. Those who are not saved concerning the unrighteous Gentiles, will uh, their general punishment will be eternal damnation, or in other words, they'll go to hell. And we know at the end, Revelation chapter 20, hell gives hell will give them up, and finally, they will go into the lake of fire, body, soul, and spirit. Why? Because the wicked dead will be resurrected, Revelation 20 again, put into eternal bodies, and then body, soul, and spirit will go into the lake of fire. And if you don't understand this, I did a particular teaching concerning the four compartments of hell. So there's a video that I've done on that. But anyway, so what do we have? Let's conclude it. Chapter 25, long in text, but not that long or difficult to understand. Jesus continued on his teaching in the rapture in the first instance, talking about what? The five wise and the five foolish virgins dealing with the whole idea of what being prepared because you don't know when the rapture would come. And then he gave another parable concerning the talents that is unto his church. Since Jesus gone for a long time, since we will stand in the judgment before the judgment seat of Christ, be faithful with the gifts, the opportunities, be faithful in this life because one day Jesus will judge and give you a reward for how you have lived your life. And then finally, what does he talk about in chapter 25? 
when he does finally come back in the second advent, not the rapture, the rapture is the cap catching up in the, of the church uh, to bypass the events of the great tribulation on the earth. But the second advent is the return of Jesus along with his angels and saints of God to set up the kingdom that is the millennial kingdom. What will Jesus do when he return before he sets up the kingdom? He will judge the Gentiles on how they treated the Jews during the worst persecution of the Jewish people. To those Gentiles that helped the Jewish people, they will be, it is an indication that they are saved and therefore they will come into the kingdom and have eternal life. To those Gentiles who along with the Antichrist persecuted the Jewish people, he will execute them on the spot and send them straight to hell and they will suffer eternal damnation. So he ends chapter 25 because all of it is pointing as Matthew is driving all of this. What will become of the Jewish people? It becomes a warning at the end of chapter 25. And Jesus is saying, and I have said to you, if you've watched my videos for a number of times, be careful how you deal with the Jewish people. Be careful how you treat the Jewish people. I am not saying that the Jewish people are all saved. As a matter of fact, only a very few of the Jewish people are saved. But nevertheless, God will judge his people. As far as we are concerned, treat them nice, be nice to them, because why? They are chosen for God's sake, okay? And how you treat them, as we see here in Matthew chapter 25, is an indication of where your heart truly is with God. Be careful that you don't be executed and sent to hell. All right, with that final warning, we end chapter 25, and thanks for joining me with all of that. Next time we come, we come into the final section, the final days of Jesus' life where we will be dealing with the events leading to the betrayal of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and his resurrection from the dead. The final section of chapters 26 through 28. See you at that time. Producing these videos take a lot of time and they take resources too, guys. All the, the computers, the cameras, the blah, 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 blah. They take resources. So. If God touches your mind and your heart, bless this ministry. If it helps you, if these teachings help you, bless the ministry, send a donation, or even become a monthly partner with me so that I can continue to do these things. I don't do it, I don't do it to make money, God forbid, but I do it that the ministry may be supported and that I might continuously with joy because it does give my heart joy to continuously bring these lessons to you for your benefit for your spiritual enrichment okay so help me out